Hey, everybody, and welcome back to your Pacific Northwest Fungal Banner Podcast. I am Eric Sorensen here in Big Country Studios in Ellensburg, Washington, ready for Jason and Kelly to jump on the call here. Uh, great episode ahead. A guy that's been ingrained in the Pacific Northwest for a very long time. A 2020 Hall of Fame or Washington State Coaches Hall of Fame inductee, Greg Swenson. Guys, a really fun interview. We dive into a lot of arm care, trying to create good experiences for our student athletes. A great episode. A lot of good stuff here. I can't wait for you guys to listen to it. Please get on, share after you listen to this. Get on iTunes and rate us, review us. We truly appreciate that. We're going to announce the winner of that swag giveaway here any day now for the people that went on, rate, reviewed, and screenshot and sent to us. Let's not forget about our sponsors, Devo Bats, the official bat and fungo of the Pacific Northwest Fungo Batter. Please go on, check them out. All their social media platforms are going. DevoBats.com is the website. They're doing a really cool 12 days of Christmas right now. A lot of great things on there. I can't wait to get some things bought too. And don't forget Safeguard out of the Tri-Cities. Great sponsor, the Pacific Northwest Fungo Northwest Fungo Banner. The gear they have for, for us is amazing. I love it. Check them out online. TrySafeguard.com. Well, let's get some Swens on the call. Let's get some good baseball talk going here in the month of December. Guys, let's bring on Coach. Well, Banner fans, we're back with our guest this week. Guys, a longtime Northwest baseball coach, former college coach in the whole Pacific Northwest, Coach Greg Swenson. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. I appreciate it. Appreciate the opportunity. I really do. Well, right away, hard-hitting question, what's your favorite fungo? <laughs> you know, it was the SSK. I loved the SSK, when I, especially working with outfielders because it gave me a little bit more juice. I was not a... a a launch angle guy as a player. So the SSK gave me some launch angle and, uh, I loved it. But then as I got older, you know, I, I got a, uh, I don't even know the name of the bat specifically, but it was just a metal Nike fungo from our Nike sponsorship days at WSU. And I still have that in the, in the bag. And that's, that's what I'll pull out whenever I hit the fungos, you know? So it is, uh, I have pretty good control with that thing. So that's, that's the SSK was growing up, but I'd have to say that that Nike metal aluminum, they probably don't even make it anymore. <laughs> it is the one that I, that I pull out of the bag. That's awesome. Well, coach, take us back to 1992, your first year of coaching at Seahome high school. How did that experience help launch your career into coaching? Yeah. So I, I, I was, like everybody else, you want to play as long as you can. And I, my goal was to be a division one player. And I had opportunities to play at small colleges and, and, and chose to, for reasons that I could control and, and I could not control to go up to, uh, to Bellingham and finish my degree up at Western. Uh, my college coach, Mike bat made a phone call up to Gary hatch and just kind of said, Hey, I got a guy up there going to Western. He wants to coach. Do you have any room for him? And Hatcher, had no idea who I was, didn't no reason to know who I was and just said, yeah, sure. Bring him on out. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll find something for him to do. So day one of see home practice in 1992, he's got me on the C team, uh, working with the C teamers and it's all good. I'm just excited to be out there. And right away, the attention to detail in his practice planning was just a shock to me. Like, okay, this is different level stuff. And 
we went through the first practice. I don't know even, I couldn't even tell you what I did. If I threw BP, hit a fungo, you know, I don't even know what my role was then. He, he had everybody practicing together, uh, JV, varsity, and C team all practiced as one so that they could learn the systems together and, you know, do that type of stuff. But at the end of day one, he basically pulled me aside. He goes, hey, you ever pitched? And I, I yeah, I pitched, but, you know, not not great, but I pitched. So, of course, I'm like, yes. And that that's, an, that's a story that goes back to high school football days when my coach asked me if I could go play defensive end. And I said, I'll try. And one big offensive lineman said, don't say you'll try, just say you'll do it. So that's kind of how I answered Coach Hatch was, yeah, I can do it. And uh, he goes, well, then you're going to be my varsity pitching coach. And so got promoted after day one. Uh, we made a run to, to a second place finish to Mark Hendrickson's led Mount Vernon team at state. Uh, state was held over in Pullman at that time. They had a big Olympic type uh, campus deal where all the teams were there, soccer, baseball, track, and really cool deal. And uh, so we went to, we won and, uh, uh, took second in state and you know, the bug just kind of hit me both through coach Hatch being such a legend as far as just the, the way he ran practice, but also uh, having success on the field. And so that carried over to coaching Legion ball up there with post seven. And we lost the state championship, I believe to Sela that year over in Sela the next year, like in 93 or 94, uh, which then led me to coaching a Babe Ruth team up in Canada. Um, and so just kind of, kind of did it. And I honestly thought that was just going to be where I was at. I was, you know, my whole goal at that time was just to coach at high school level for 30 years. And, you know, hopefully one day have an infield named after me or something, right? Not the whole field. Cause I don't know if I win enough games, but to get the infield at least. And it, it just so happened that again, my college coach who set me up at Sea home called me. He was now the athletic director and coach Jewett was down at Tacoma as the head coach at TCC. And he, he says, Hey, you interested in being a JC pitching coach? And I was just like, yeah, why not? Let's do it. So moved back down to Tacoma again. I don't even know, like, like coach Hatch probably didn't know who I was. I don't even know. Jewett knew who I was. He just, his AD just said, Hey, I found a guy that I thought was taking a job for a thousand dollars a month. It ended up being a thousand dollars for the entire year. So that was a little bit of a shock when I walked in like in October going, Hey, when am I going to get paid? And he's like, what are you talking about? Like you don't get paid till the end of the season. So I quickly had to go do asbestos abatement and stuff like that at night to make ends meet. And, uh, and just, you know, course with coach uh, Jewett and then coach Hinkle next year, coach Jewett leaves off to Edmonds mid year. Coach Hinkle doesn't want it. If he wants it, then it's his job. Cause he's been there longer than me. He doesn't want it. So, they give it to me. We start four and eight in this non-conference. I'm like, well, this is going to be a short-lived career. And then we rattle off something like nine straight wins, at, you know, to start conference. And we go to the tournament for the first time since 88. And that's kind of how it all kind of launched. That's great, Coach. Uh, I want to kind of shift a little bit to influence here. You know, as a coach that's been uh, in the Northwest his entire coaching career, who um, – what coaches in – your kind of a realm or that you're in contact with that have been really supportive in your overall growth as a coach in the Northwest for you? Well, I, I mentioned him already, but Gary Hatch is, is at the top of the list. I mean, he took me under his wing as a guy who knew nothing about coaching, had played for some good coaches in high school, you know, played for 
Steve Avila and Olympia Pepsi. And, and we, we, we had some success there and, 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 you know, played for some good coaches, coach Creighton at Olympia high, but it was coach Hatch who just really showed me that the attention to detail to organization, um, having a plan, being to that plan and, and all that just was such a, just, you know, a grad school and coaching for me to go up there and spend four years with him. And that carried over to immediately when I took over at Tacoma, uh, then in my Husky days and all that, but, you know, he, he's, he's at the top of the list. Um, there's no doubt about it, but, you know, fortunate to, you know, coach Jewett was a head coach that I was an assistant coach under, uh, got to go to Washington and be under the winningest coach in the school's history there and coach Knudsen and, you know, and, and every guy taught me something, right. Hatch was organization. Jewett was just about just being young and having fun and doing our jobs at the highest level we can. At that time, you know, I think he was probably 20. We were both probably 25 or something like that. And he was the head coach and I was assistant. So we're young and just figuring this thing out. Um, Knudsen really taught me to back off. Like, truthfully, like, don't overcoach. Like, you're working with Division One athletes. They're, they're really, really smart athletes. So, you know, let them be athletic. Don't coach the athleticism out of them. And that was – that was hard for me because I was, I was a, a really big micromanager as a coach at the high school and JC level. And just, you know, I wanted guys to do things mechanically correct all the time and, and going to Washington, uh, Knudsen really allowed that. And of course, even his assistant, Joe Ross was really influential in my career as far as just evaluating talent and seeing what players look like. And he, he cross-checked me all the time when I saw kids for Tacoma and then, when I was at Washington, I couldn't recruit, but we'd do camps and I would, you know, point out players and, and you know, it just kind of goes, keeps going with Marbit. He gave me full autonomy, you know, for 10 years, I was his pitching coach and he just let me be his pitching coach. He didn't, he just wanted our guys to be, you know, on the infield at a certain time. You can do whatever you want with them. Just make sure that they show up here at a certain time. And then they pitch really good when that, when it's game time. So, every guy, every coach that I've coached with has had, I've taken something from them and, and been really appreciative of the opportunity as an assistant. And as a head coach, I've had really good assistant coaches myself, but uh, you know, and then off the field, the, the guy, Frank Bartonetti, who's a, a ment I don't even know what he is. He, he doesn't want to be called a mental skills guy, um, but he really is. He, he used to be the president of the Pacific Institute. And, and for the four years that we were at Washington together, we were almost bunkmates and, and, you know, he would tell me things that I needed to change and how I was doing stuff. And it was hard to hear as a, you know, 30, 31 year old coach who thought he had it all figured out and, and having a guy saying you're doing it wrong is, is a tough thing to hear. And, but because he was able to do that and I was willing to listen, uh, it, it set me up for later years. And just like everything, when we play for coaches and, and we don't really know what they're saying or doing at that time. And we figure it out five, 10 years later that this is what they meant. And Frank was a lot like that for me. You know, when I was with him, I didn't really know what his MO was. I got away from him for a few years, started realizing it. And it wasn't until probably towards the end of my WSU tenure that I really, really started understanding what Frank was teaching me and, and true, truly applying it to what I was doing as a coach. That's great. Uh, I want to talk about, you know, you, you talk about your rise to the, uh, 
the high school days up to the junior college level, Division One level. I had a chance to go back to the high school level, and now you know I'm helping with your boy and and some of that youth level stuff. I want to get your take on on where things are maybe they have been and where they're at now from that youth level. You know what are what are things I think that we're doing good as coaches? How can we kind of build that thing back up? So developing talent at a good level in the area. What, what's just your overall take of where things are at right now at that youth level? Well, it's, it's definitely interesting because, because I'm a coach who's also a dad and, and right. And so you, you've got those, those, those problems, I don't know their problems, but just those opinions that, well, he's a dad. And so he's looking at it through dad glasses and, 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 I don't know who that is. I really don't because as a coach, you're harder on your kid than anyone else. You, you watch your kid do stuff and you, and you just assume because he's been in the dugout with you for 12 years that he should figure out how to do those things. And, and then you'll sit back and realize you never taught it to him. And so, yeah, no wonder he doesn't know what he's doing, but it's, it's for those people who think, well, he's, he's that's his kid out there. It's just, it's just kind of, it's a, it's a, it's a fine line to walk and, and make sure. And I, I think coach Magsman said at one time, I don't know if he said it directly to us or what, but in coaching his own kids, it, it you know, it, they need to be the best player on the team or else it's going to be a really hard deal because um, it, whenever they do play, the parents are going to be sitting back on the backside, you know, just saying things. Um, but my, you know, Jake's been great. It's, it's really been one of the thrills of my career uh, is, is being able to coach my own son and, and while it is at the youth level, whether it would be the little league season that we spent together right after I got done with Portland and, um, you know, just, just working with those kids, uh, uh, it, it's really been a cool deal for me. But when you ask where the youth game is at, it, it's, it, 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 there's a lot of really good coaches coaching youth baseball. And, and, and at the same time, there's a lot of guys out there. I don't know what their ultimate end game is in, in youth baseball. Uh, unfortunately it's, it's, it's in a lot of ways turned into a, a, a major business opportunity for some, uh, it's, it's price kids out of the game. Uh, and you know, and I'm not going to be hypocritical and say we, we, we allow kids to play for free. You know, uh, we don't, we have a fee and it's not an insignificant fee, but you know, it, it's a fee that covers our program in a way that allows kids to almost be treated like division one players, as far as swag packages and travel, you know, we're, we're playing this year pretty much every weekend in the summer, we're at a college campus with a bunch of 16 year olds, just exposing them to fields and campuses and things like that. But you know, the, the, the coaches, I, I, there's a, again, there's a lot of really good ones. It's just so sped up, right? I mean, you just, you know, Kelly, you're at St. Martin's and you see it where, you know, the, these parents who don't, you know, their kids don't have offers as freshmen and they're panicking. And, it, and it's just mm-hmm. like, really everybody needs to take a deep breath. One, the world that we live in right now is, is, is enough stress that is it, as it is for, for families and kids who aren't getting the opportunity to play like we did when we were young. Uh, but then you add to the fact that, you know, Johnny's got a scholarship because he's throwing 90 as a freshman and Timmy's throwing 78 and 
they're wondering, you know, what's he got to do to get a scholarship offer? I, uh, I'll throw 90. Like, it's pretty simple. Like, you know, like marry better. I don't know. Like just do something, but it's just, it's just one of those things where you, you, you just need to slow down. We need to take a deep breath and, and, and really get back to what the youth game is about. And that's in our program, coast to coast turf baseball, we're really, the focus is on development and getting kids ready to play varsity baseball. That's what we tell them. It's, it's what it's going to look like as a varsity player for us. Um, if you have the opportunity to go play collegiately, then you're going to be prepared to play collegiately as well, because we pretty much run our practices like a college practice. And so you're going to, the intensity, you know, myself, coach Knott and coach Trujillo, uh, we were doing it at, at that. And then coach Vance came, joined us from Concordia and he's even more like we are slow. Let's go move, get going. And so it is like, it is a two and a half hour session where guys are moving around at a, at a high rate. And, and that's to get them ready for varsity. That's to get them ready. If they're fortunate enough that they're one of the 8% that move on, then they'll be ready physically and mentally to handle the practice. Now, whether they're ready to contribute, that's another story, but they'll at least have seen it before and they're not going to be in a panic mode when they arrive at the varsity field and stuff. And so I would just like to see our youth coaches more focused on the development and I guess enjoyment of the game versus the, 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 the promotion that we're going to find a scholarship for you or we're going to find you a college place to play. That That is such a that is such a bold statement to make as a former college coach to, to be, to just, and, and I've got, <laughs> I've got a kid on our club that's got offers from two PAC 12 schools right now. And it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's just so hard to say that you're going to be a college baseball player when they're 14, 15 and 16 years old. You know, uh, I grew up in the Cody Webster days and man, he was a stud and you know, then, kind of time happened and he was, he came back to, you know, meet a lot of us as far as abilities go. So that part of it, I'd really, uh, that, that's a, that's a tough one to see is that there's just so much promotion of, we can get you scholarships. We can do this for you. And, you know, ultimately it's not the coach that's getting them the scholarship. It's the player, right? I mean, Kelly, you, you, you you guys have all seen it where if you're good enough, you're going to be found. Like it it, it doesn't matter what school you play at. If you're good enough, you're going to be found. There's enough good coaches in our state, in our region that will find you and tell their buddy who does have the ability to promote you. So um, yeah, that that's, I don't know if that answers your question entirely, but it's just from my perspective of seeing it for a couple of years now, there seems to be a really hard focus on this program will get you to the next level. And again, that's just not the reality. That's, that's not how it works. And it's going to be even more log jammed with the way rosters are going to be watered down for the next four or five years because of the pandemic that we're in. Hate to open up a can of worms here, but I will. <laughs> um, how much of that do you attribute to where recruiting is now? Uh, I, I know in your time, Washington it probably transitioned a little bit more into Wazoo and even more at Portland where we're, we're offering kids at 14, 15, sometimes even 16 years old. Uh, do you feel like, like that's the, 
the main driver for all this pressure with parents and kids to get all these offers early and they're missing out on those development years because they see people around getting those offers at that time? Is that the, is that the driver in your eyes? There's no question that is leading the, the, that is one of the main reasons behind it is that because somebody else is getting it, then we need, we should be getting it too. And you know, as a college coach, we didn't we didn't really go in at WSU. We weren't really into the sophomores in my time. We were more juniors and seniors, and later developing guys and guys that were a little bit more polished because we weren't we weren't necessarily getting the top player in the Northwest to come to Wazoo, and we had to develop them. So we need to make we need to really evaluate to see what this kid could do development wise. Um, at Portland, same thing, right? You, at the University of Portland, you, you can't go out and offer a freshman with the idea that you're going to hear contract. You won't scout one time. As of high school, you can't decommit them. You can't get rid of them. And then they have four years when they show up to school. They're going to be on roster for four years. So it's an eight-year contract. And I told the scout, even Albert Pujols won't get an eight-year contract right now. So why would I give it to this kid who's a freshman at X school? And so it was. it's just – it's no doubt it's the driver, as you said, of what it is. And unfortunately, you know, if you talk to a college coach, they all say we would like to not have to do it. But if I don't do it, this guy's going to, and I'm going to lose out. And so it's just one of those things. The NCAA's tried to do some, some limiting of it by preventing unofficial visits, which I just find fascinating that they decided that that's going to be the way they're going to stop this is to prevent kids from coming on campus. And if there's any evidence of that, look at the offers that are going out there now when we're in a dead period to April still, and offers are still flying off the table to kids that coaches have never even seen live. They've just seen videos. So if you think that an unofficial visit and giving a family a chance to really go explore a university as a freshman or sophomore is the reason that they're committing as freshmen and sophomores. It, it's just the, 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 again, for me, that they're just out of touch with what really is going on. Um, you know, it wasn't a popular thing, but I just said, hey, it's real simple. Give us the window from their, from a, we can sign a kid any point of their high school career that's going to eliminate a lot of this early commitment stuff. If you go in and, and offer a freshman from kid attest and say, here you go, sign on the dotted line. And all of a sudden that kid doesn't develop it, but you're stuck with him as a coach at the collegiate level, that's going to really make you go, well, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Um, and at the same time, that kid's going to go, well, wait a minute. If I sign this, I got, I, I have to go there. So both sides of it where there's, you know, there's, there's some programs that will pull offers. There's kids that will walk away from offers throughout that four year period. And that eliminates a lot of that, but it just won't happen because again, it's just, it just, there's a disconnect from Indianapolis to what's really going on. And I'm disconnected now after being out of it for a few years. So I don't even know really where it's at, but that's when I was in it. That's what I saw is just what they think we could do you know, they gave these dead periods now around Father's Day and 4th of July and stuff. And I'm just like, you know, why are you punishing guys who want to work? Like, if the guys want to work, let them work. If they want to go be with their family, go to be with their family. The thing that changed in the college ranks was when we allowed three coaches to go out. When it was two coaches, when it was Coach Jewett, Coach Marbit, and myself going out for WSU, one of us had to stay back. So, you know, Jewett might go up to the lake for a week, and then he was off the road for a week. And he got family time in July. And Marbit and I were covering the road. Uh, 
you know, same thing. I would be off for a week and Jewett and Marbet would cover. So as soon as you allow three to go out, well, now it's now time. There is no day off. I just think like, again, you know, Father's Day weekend, you're off. But what if you're not a dad? I mean, there's 28-year-old coaches that don't have a kid. So what? They just, what are they going to do that weekend? Like, let them work. If they want to work, let them work. Why are we preventing coaches from working? And why are we making rules up where coaches can't get paid? That still just blows me away. And it's going to get worse, right? The, the the ratio of coach to player at the collegiate level is already the worst in sports. And it's going to get worse because they keep expanding the roster because of the pandemic. So now instead of 35 coaches, 35 players with three paid coaches, now it's going to be 45 to three, you know, it's going to be 15 to one. And so it's just, it's just crazy. Well, I, I totally, uh, you know, going back to the comment about the kids and getting uh, recruited at such a young age, I, it just, it just baffles my mind that we're taking so much, so much knowledge into a kid that's going to change so much in three years. Thinking about the high school mm-hmm. kids I have that come in as freshmen and then leaving at senior, they're completely different people. And I get why that has to happen in the whole situation, but it's just a, it's just a really interesting dynamic. And, and it was refreshing to hear you talk about how it's your guys' job to get them to the, to the high school level and then the high school level to get them on. And it's all one big, you know, working together for the kids. But, no, Coach, I just thought that was a really great take on all that. No, I appreciate it. It's, it's a long time in the works, let me oh. tell you. Well, let's hop into the 17th stretch. And – the first topic, we got a lot of topics on here, but the first one I wanted to talk about was I remember the night this summer when it came up on my phone, my Twitter page goes off, and all of a sudden we got Northwest Baseball Insider Twitter page coming up. Talk to us through that because I got really excited that, hey, we got another avenue that if we need games, we can get this done a lot quicker. And it's something that I was wishing we had a few years ago when I was trying to find games as a new coach. But talk us through your ideas and what made you decide to start this page and, and where you see it going from here. Well, part you know that's a that's a pandemic baby in a way where like you're sitting around here and you're getting shut down and you can't and you know I, I'm a I'm a 14U coach that doesn't know a 14U coach across the the, the rest of the area. So who am I going to call to, to try to schedule a doubleheader with? How am I going to get something set up? And so it goes back to as a as a as a college coach, we had this website called College Baseball Insider that always had, you know, opening dates and we'd look at it and, you know, Hey, Texas is going to pay 25 grand for us to come get beat three times. Okay, great. Let's go. You know, and you're just like, let's, let's find these games. Let's, let's go have a good time. Let's do our thing. And so there, I, you know, I, I, I didn't know if there was anything else like that. So I was just kind of throwing it out there a little bit. I, I asked a couple of coaches that I know, is there anything like this? And there is a couple other things, but for the Twitter side of it, I was just like, you know, this is the easiest way to communicate. If you have a Twitter, account um you get on there you you just throw on hey you know looking for games july 4th weekend and and just throw it out there i just talked to a coach in in napa idaho today just saying like he's trying to figure out where he's going and like just shoot me an email and i'll I'll put it on our page and see you know what you've got and it hasn't it hasn't taken quite yet like i want it to there hasn't been a lot of people sending me stuff yet to say hey i have an opening a weekend here and and i put a couple of our coast to coast turf baseball ones on there and they, i think it's just like oh what, you know this this team can't play anybody there's always games they're always looking for games but it, it was just one of those things and then you know going to the twitter side of it a colleague of mine at astroturf uh pointed me to the skipper's dugout uh site and you, you look at that that's got seventeen thousand followers and he's posting resumes and he's posting opening dates and opening week and so both the college baseball insider and skipper's dugout was a way for me to 
think, why don't we have something like that in the Northwest? Why, you know, and it, and, and not limit it to, I mean, it's not meant for colleges. They've already got their resources and connections, but, uh, but if the colleges wanted to jump on great, right. Even Kelly, if you want to post that St. Martin's needs games, I'll, I'll post it. Like, uh, you know, it's just that it's more meant for high school, summer travel type clubs that are, that are looking for opportunities like, you know, down here in our corner of, of the Northwest, most of these teams are just playing in, you know, Portland area tournaments because they don't know anything else. The coaches might not know what else is out there, right? I'm trying to get into the Beetle Classic if they still have it. I'm trying to get over to Spokane. Uh, to, you know, I, I want to get up to Bellingham for a post seven invite. You know, those are the type of things that I want our players to be able to experience because that's what they're going to remember. They're not, they're going to remember the travel, the hotel, the pools. They're not going to remember who hit the double, like, right. I can guarantee you they're not going to remember a lot of, like when I took our little league club to state, they, they don't remember the score of the game. Maybe they remember their stats and, you know, this and that, and maybe a couple of them are locked in, but they remember that we were up at Cedar Woolley for a week and, you know, hanging on a thread and staying in a hotel and checking out and checking back in every night and the loser bracket and all that stuff. Right. That's what they remember. And I just think that it's just such an avenue where, where coaches, if they, if they, if they get on there and really look, they might be able to take their kids to part of the Northwest that those kids have never been to and see different things. And like for us this year in experiencing college campuses, the whole idea is to give these guys a look at, you know, division one, division two, II, division three, NAIA, you know, there's a lot of opportunities out there for you to play and you just got to figure out what's best for you to play for four years. And, you know, you know, I was like that. I, I, like I said at the beginning, I, I wanted to play division one or I wasn't going to play and I wasn't good enough to play division one and I wouldn't have recruited myself, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where that, that was a bad way to look at things as an 18 year old back then. It was, it was not the right viewpoint, but I didn't know any better. And so uh, that's, that's kind of how that whole page came up. That's how I looked at it as an opportunity to, to do that. And if it grows into more, if it grows into opportunities for coaches to get discounted equipment, because some, some, but he wants to call us up and say, Hey, you use this code. I'll give you 25% off. Awesome. Right. I mean, like it's, it's about, uh, it's, it's about everybody succeeding at what they do and, and what that success looks like is different for everybody. But why would you not try to make it the best that that can be for everybody in the region? And part of that is being able to travel and play, play in places that you've, you've never played before. You know, we want to, Boise last year because it was the only place open and our kids loved it. Like, you know, the seven hour drive they could do without that. But you <laughs> some of them will fly this year when we go. But, you know, they loved it. And that's just something that doesn't happen if you don't have the right connections. And I'm fortunate to have 30 years experience and a lot of people that I can make calls to. But there's a lot of coaches that don't have that. And so you know, hopefully we can make some connections on there and get this thing growing in the right direction so that, you know, people will use it for what it's meant to be, which is a schedule, schedule enhancer. I know any young coach that's listening right now, I know I went through this my first years of trying to find summer baseball games and I went to all around Ellensburg, right? To the coaches that I had played for. But I, I was, if you had the opportunity to use this as a young coach, I know I would have fully enjoyed it. Cause like you said, the opportunities to go play, someone's looking for a game somewhere. 
And, mm-hmm. and especially I feel like, you know, when COVID's over and we get to use all this stuff and start playing again here that, you know, we're, we're fortunate we're on the I-90 right here and people will be coming through Ellensburg and Kittitas. And, and I just think all it's such time. a great thing. Yeah. And with the pandemic, it is even more so because you get called Wednesday saying the city's shut down. There's no mm-hmm. fields available. Now I need to find a place to play. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, we got, I got that call driving to Boise that the tournament was canceled. And I made a, I made a call to Coach Crone, who had spent time in Napa. Who do you know in Boise that I can just keep our team over there and play? And he hooked me up with Casey Daniels, and Casey Daniels said, yeah, come on in. And next thing you know, we played four games over there because of I knew Jason Crone, who knew Casey Daniels. There was a connection. If you don't have those connections – you're, you're lost. And so that's really the heart of it. It's what it's trying to do. It's not to meant to be anything other than just an opportunity for coaches to meet up and, and, and schedule. And if it turns into more than that, great. But, uh, but hopefully it just allows the Northwest network to really grow. Yeah, coach. I think that's so important for all of us coaches. You know, I think about the advancements of technology. I mean, I, I think about recruiting days. I mean, as my going out there with my dad with a VHS recorder and, you know, and, and, and doing some hits and some ground balls and then putting it in there and doing all your stop and plays. And, you know, now we have Twitter handles and, and you know, if someone can pull out a phone and, and just watch a guy throw a pitch or hit a ball, you know, I mean, it's just the technology has advanced that game so much greater. And uh, it's just really a, you know, flip of your finger and, and you can notify someone, you know, on the other side of the country, you know, so it's, it's, I think these kind of things are important. And, and, you know, and I think about the days of, as a coach, you know, picking up the phone and, Hey, who do you know? And, and, and then, you know, and the thing to add to that, cause like you're saying, you get in those tournaments, but you start rubbing shoulders with other coaches too, you know, and you start building relationships and then, you know, so-and-so, and then mm-hmm. the next year you just add on more and more. So, Doing this Northwest baseball thing, man, it's been solid. I, I really am is super excited to be possibly using that for uh, Tri-City Prep, man. Thank yeah, I appreciate that. And, it, it, you know, we, we live in such a small world up here in the Northwest as coaches. And as a, as a young coach in 92 who went to the state championship game in his first year as an assistant, I'm just thinking like, oh, man, I got it figured out, right? And, <laughs> yeah. and you know, and, and this game will find ways to humble you left and right. And, and one of the most humbling things is when you go to the ABCA and you realize there's 7,000 coaches across the country that are doing exactly what you're doing. And you're like, okay, wait a minute. And, and I, I just, that was my first impression for my first ABCA was like, okay, hold on now. This is a lot bigger world than what I'm used to up there in the Northwest. And and so the same, you know, you just, you think you have a pretty good deal. And like Eric was saying within the Ellensburg region and stuff, but let's say you can expand it and you can get up to, you know, maybe the stampede has a tournament in Nomac one weekend or something that you can go play in and, and see horses run down the hill and stuff <laughs> like, you know, like it's, it's, it's that, that's what they're going to remember. It's, and, and it's such a small window. These kids have, eight years you know from 10 to 18 to really truly be guaranteed some sort of comp- competitive baseball and that's that's it and so the more we can enhance that experience through travel and through sites and through doing things i mean i still remember our legion olympia legion pepsi club on a 
two and a half week road trip that started in Walla Walla, down to Caldwell, down to Reno, down to Oakland, up to Medford, up to Roseburg, finished at the Eugene Pepsi Challenger Tournament. And, oh, okay, we're going home. Oh, wait, wait, Longview wants to play. And you're just like, oh. And, you know, and we're in the back of the van just wearing out Def Leppard, you know, and just loving it. And that's what we remember. I don't I couldn't tell you how who we even played in those games at Eugene. But I can tell you what song was played over and over again in that van because Dom Herness had the stinking CD player at the time he got for graduation. And we listened to that thing over and over. And so. When it still comes on the radio, I'm right there back in 1988 on a van trip, you know? So it's it's the best. Baseball's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. It is. And I think we, we talk about this all the time with our players, even at the college level, that, you know, baseball's an activity. It's a, an experience, right? And you talk about the eight-year window with the, the 10 to 18-year-olds and fortunate players that seven, eight percent have a chance to play from 18 to 22 years old. And, you know, you could be doing that. You can spend that time doing something else. You can travel, you can, you know, take on careers, volunteer, whatever that is. And you just want to have the best experience in, in, in what you're doing. You know, you can invest your time and, and train in an indoor setting and, and get to the point where you're projecting the best statistical numbers and this and that, but, you know, that gets boring at the end of the day, you know, and, and mm-hmm. this experience and these stories and the things that happen from that stick with you for a long time. And, and the game is going to end for a lot of different people. There's kids on your youth team now. They're going to fall off in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not right or wrong. It's just people are going to choose to spend their time elsewhere and doing other things. But at the time, in the moment, you want to be investing in something that's bigger than yourself. You know, it's, it's fun. It's team. It's it's travel. It's new. It's different. Um so doing those things, those van trips, I, I think are are somewhat a thing in the past. And the people that are able to do that type of stuff is is awesome. But um, but yeah, if we can provide the best opportunity, the best experience, and and give them something memorable in that short window that they have to be kids and and enjoy a game that's you know the best in the world, um, it, it, that's all we can do. We can only guarantee today and tomorrow, and um, it, it's just about you know giving the best experiences that we can. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I, Steve Farrington's Longview club would camp out at tournaments, you know, the, uh, Sunilink's Spokane Dodgers would camp out at tournaments. Now I don't have an RV and I don't have a tent. So camping out ain't my deal. <laughs> I, I, I want to stay in a D one level hotel, but I, you know, I think about, you know, being able to camp out and just be around the guys and, and doing some stuff like that, those, those memories will last forever. And that's, you know, I'm not going to say it's all, you know, orange slices and, and apple juices after the game in our program. We're, we, we, we're hard on our kids in the sense that we're trying to prepare them for varsity baseball. And, you know, again, if they're lucky collegiately or not lucky, I guess if they're fortunate in collegiate baseball, but at the same time, the hope is that in between the stress that we put on them, they'll, they'll see what this does. And and sometimes you're right, you know, Kelly, there'll be kids. And, and I can remember back in the day when my buddies who didn't play baseball were out at Ward's Lake in Olympia all day. And I'm, I'm, I'm 
I'm pulling weeds along the warning track at Capitol High School for a Legion game. And, you know, I'm like, oh, I wish I was those guys. And now, you know, you, you don't you don't realize it when you're that age that you can spend age 19 to 75 at a lake. The, the window to play this game at a high competitive level is so short and so small. And at, when you're a kid, you feel like you're invincible and it's going to last forever. And then next thing you know, it's it's you wake up, it's over. And and look at now. Right. You don't last year's kids. They didn't have a chance to even play in their last year. This year's kids, you know, who knows if they're going to have a chance to play. And so even more so that this group of players should be tuned into the fact that you don't know when your last game is. And if we can make it more memorable by providing some of the extracurricular stuff on the side, you know, I mean, I, I, I'd love to rent a charter bus and take our club to Boise and, and just sit on the bus and watch bad movies and, <laughs> and play cards and, you know, play mafia or whatever those kids play nowadays. And those are the things that they talk about. So. Coach, you got me all fired up, man. I'm it's, as I was we're having this conversation. I'm thinking about to all the bus trips, you know, like, the 16 hour ones going to, we played at central or in the, the, you know, Legion ball games where ah, I'm fired up, but I, I, we, we could have a whole new podcast on that topic, but I want to move in and talk about, you know, we all know about the Pacific Northwest and the climate that we have. And it's, a, I think it's a problem, not a problem. It's something that each coach needs to work through and solve on their own. Uh, the climate, especially when it's, you know, you were able to experience it from Seattle all the way to Pullman complete different climate changes right mm-hmm. but getting a pitching staff ready how are you able to guys get guys ready for a season with all these variables and the you know one day you could wake up and it's raining beautiful sunshine or snow like it's just how did you work through that getting guys ready to go well slow and steady wins the race right and that was that was my pitching philosophy is we would we would pick that okay by the first game of the year you know coach marvitt and i would talk about okay what what pitch count do we want these guys at by game one and typically it was 75 pitches for us at that level so let's work our way backwards and just okay 10 to 15 pitches a week of live so you know go back there's five weeks of live before so you know and that's really hard at the collegiate level because that five weeks is your first day of class and you so you're trusting that these kids have been doing their bullpens and stuff on their own and you'd find out real quickly who had and who had not when they throw that first 30 pitch live and they were in the trainer's room the next day for the, you know, for the week. Um, but you just work backwards. And I, I had an 11 week throwing program that built kids up to that 75 pitch level. And it was slow. It, it was, you know, it was borrowing the principles from Alan Jager and his long toss program, but it was two to three weeks of just arc only and really opening the shoulder up and getting a feel for it. It was a couple of weeks of pulling down and then it was a couple of weeks of being on the mound and then it was live, you know, and, and small incremental increases of 10 to 15 pitches each week. And, and that's what really got us built up. And that's what allowed us to stay relatively healthy in, in that time frame, you know, at Washington state and then at Portland at, at UW Knutson was, you know, the, the, the pitching guy there. And, and, and I, you know, I, I stole a bunch of stuff from him. I mean, he, he, why wouldn't you, right? The guy was legendary as far as preparing pitchers. And, and so you just, you just take that in and just let your guys know that they have a job to do on their own. And it's hard at the high school level. And the one year that I was in high school ball, you know, they had a proposal to allow high school coaches to work with their players out of season for a longer period of time. 
and that got vetoed or shot down. And, and honestly, that, that was probably the day I knew that I was going to be a one and done at the high school level was if I'm not going to be able to work with these kids at a longer period of time and get them prepared properly, I, I just, I'm not going to watch them. I'm not going to try to ramp up in two weeks and get kids. And one year at Kingsway, we had two division one arms and Stubbs and Lauderdale. So I was fortunate, you know, and you know, they were limited to 40 pitches their first game and right. We're ahead six to one against Woodland. And then we look up, it's 10 to six Woodland. We take Stubbs out and it's, it's 10 to six and, you know, Kingsway loses and they just won the state championship and who's this new coach. He's an idiot and all this stuff. Right. And, but it was like Stubbs career was more important than that, that game that day. And, and I was able to see that and I'm not chase, I wasn't chasing a resume building promotion through winning and stuff. It was, you know, it became a, it became a very player focused. What, what, what gives these guys the best opportunity to move on. And so When the WIA, you know, shot that opportunity down, that was a big, okay. And even down here where I'm at, I'm like, just let me, let me run the off season stuff. I don't need to be on staff during the spring because then I'm limited to what I can do. So just let me be a part of it and help you guys set up your off season and show up in the morning and open the cages up or whatever and have some guidance and some, you know, some at least eyes on the players while you guys can't do anything with them. Um, so I just think that that slow process and, and building up in the other part of it for me, and it, it kind of maybe, you know, leads into the arm injury aspect of things, but uh, I, I don't think pitchers especially throw enough, and, and especially at the high school level. And part of that is they're playing two positions and it's, it's a hard juggling act to, to get it. But I, you know, I think, I think if you're a pitcher, you need to train more, you need to throw more and you need to pitch less. And what that means is you're throwing dang near year round. Like I was just talking to one of our parents last night in our program. And he was talking about other programs that are two, three months out off. And for me, it's every week off. It takes two weeks to build back up. And so if you're, if you're three months, if you're three months off, then you're six months building up. Like that's just a, and, and you just can't take that much time off and, and, and be successful. That doesn't mean they're, they're throwing downhill in January at the Martin Luther King classic. That just means that they're not just sitting around doing nothing. We're playing long toss. We're, we're playing catch. We're doing drills. We're doing something that keeps us moving throughout the years. That when it is time to build up, there doesn't take as long and you're not starting from such a low spot as far as your arm health to build back up. And so, you know, we would take maybe a month off, maybe it was six weeks when I was at WSU. And if I was there now, it would be two weeks. And we, we, two weeks of, you know, kind of de-stress and downloading from the fall. And then it would be, here we go. We're ramping back up to get ready for the spring and, and not again, not pitching competitively, not going out and pitching in tournaments and stuff. But I've seen guys that, in California that take that are on teams that are on show ball or showcase travel ball teams that they don't play, but once a month, maybe, and they're rolling down to Arizona playing in these tournaments. And these, you know, it's like, okay, this kid's out there and they, they don't throw them out there for a hundred pitches, but 50 pitches after not pitching for a month is a lot of pitches to throw. And that's really where the injuries and stuff have 
have come into play. And, and we really, for me, again, going back to Coach Marvitt, let me have autonomy and really listening to myself and our training staff. When, whenever we had a guy that was even close to being banged up, we just shut him down and, and dealt with it. And sometimes it cost us a weekend. Sometimes it cost us a season. But what didn't happen is that kid didn't go to the knife unless it was the last last thing that had to happen. So, uh, you know, I think coaches can do themselves a a service by just really mapping out when their first game is figuring out how many pitches kids to throw, which in high school ball, that first game, 45 pitches is a great number and just work backwards and build up so that that first week of practice, maybe the first day of practice, the kids throwing 15 pitches live. Then the next week he's 30. Then by, you know, by day 10 and day 11, they're 45 and it's, and here we go. But unfortunately, a lot of them are just, Hey, bullpen tomorrow. Here we go. You're pitching Saturday. And that's why the injuries happen. And that's, that's, that's why kids aren't in shape to pitch because there's no real rhyme or reason to when they pitch. Again, I, I, I work with a really talented player out of California. And when I ask him when you pitch in live, He's, he's 90% of time. To, I don't know. I, I don't know. We, we play this weekend. I don't know. Like, well, how do you bullpen? How do you train? How do you have a routine? I mean, college players are on seven day rotations. They know exactly what they're doing and when they're lifting heavy, when they're lifting moderately, all that. How do you know that as a high school player? One, they don't know it anyway, because they're not in a college program. And then, then you make it even more um, random by not really chewing them in to, you know, and, and when the pitch count thing came up a couple of years back, I remember a small school, well, I need my guy to pitch Monday and Friday because I only have one pitcher in our program. Well, listen, that's really, I get it, but that's, you need to find a second pitcher because the one guy's never going to play catch with his kid if you keep throwing him 100 pitches Monday and Friday. So. Yeah, Coach, I think that correlates a lot of to back to somebody like we were talking about earlier about the travel ball thing, you know, about the coaches not understanding the players. You know, if you're just going from weekend to weekend, you know, with no end of that middle week, you know, uh, practice, I, I, I kind of think about, you know, as a child going down to the river and just skipping rocks, right? Just throwing rocks, you know, and that just building that arm strength up. And yeah, I, I don't even know of a kid. <laughs> Who knows who, who does that anymore, you know, but that's what it takes. And if we get into this day and age, it's like, yeah, my kid's got to get out there and, and he's got to get the W because, you know, there's going to be college coaches here, you know, and, and it's just all about the win and the gratification. And, and it's not focused on the health of the player because you know, it's like anything. If you don't treat your body right when you're young, it catches up to you when you get older and either you can live a longer life or your body's going to just, break down and you're going to really struggle through the later parts of your life. Mm. So that's the thing that's solid. That's true. I think unfortunately a lot of coaches at the younger levels see the big leaguers, what they do in the playoffs and see what the college pitchers do at Omaha Mm -hmm. and think, well, I can do that every weekend here Mm -hmm. and I can throw my guy on Friday and bring him back on Sunday every weekend because they just see that one weekend that they might pay attention to what's going on because it's the excitement of the playoffs or Omaha. And they just think that that's, that's the norm. And that, that is such a small window. And those guys are such highly trained athletes and they built up to that ability to handle that. And even when they are, they break down those guys who end up doing that. Right. Um, 
and and I think they just see that and they and and and, and if you if you were to <laughs> the one thing that will get my hot is watching kids go out and throw 30 pitches on Saturday and then throw 90 pitches on Sunday at the age of 14, 15, because they, they needed to throw, you know, whether they're short on arms or whatever. And unfortunately these kids are doing it sometimes when they're ahead, eight, nine, 10 to nothing. And they're still just being ran out there because let's, you know, they're, they're fine. And they're throwing 120 pitches as a 14 year old over a weekend. And yeah, that day that kid's going to say, I feel good because that's what kids are, are trained to say to you because it's the minute that a kid says they're hurt, we typically go, Oh, you need a band aid or whatever as a coach. Right. So right away, when they say something like they're not feeling good, we poo poo it and they they're pretty quick. Oh, if I say that to a coach, he's not going to play me. So no, I feel great. I feel fine. And that, and they don't know what that even means, what that even feels like. And and I just, that just is, it's just heartbreaking to me because I, I've seen some really good players that are, are used in that manner. And it's it, it just, you know, those coaches will tell me, well, this is how we do things. And, you know, this is how we did it. And, that, and it's, it's really just a, it's, it's really unfortunate that that's the mentality that that's that winning that one weekend games is that important that you, you use guys in that way. You know, as I go back in our club, 14U, we were limited. If you were, if we were playing a doubleheader that day and you were going to play the position later in the day, you were limited to 60 pitches in the game you pitched. Four innings or 60 pitches. And if you were throwing a no-hitter, I'm taking you out. And, that, and, and, and you were going to throw once that weekend. And, and, again, I got an arm that's like a really special arm. And – he, he ain't going to see the mound twice in a weekend for me. If he's on my club, he's going to see the mound one time. And he's going to tell me every day he feels good. But he's going to see the mound one time, and he's going to give it all he's got in that one moment. And then we're going to limit him to 60, 75 pitches so that he can go play center field later on. And, and, and that's where, again, we're more focused on what it's going to look like for them down the road than what it looks like to win the belt or the ring and that's all great. Winning is part of it, right? We, I don't, we're not just developmental and don't keep score type stuff. Winning is a, is a major factor for things, but not at the expense of these kids arms. That's, that's one passion that if I could do more to educate coaches across the country and, or especially in the Northwest about arm care and arm protocols, I, I, if I could make a living doing that, I probably would find a way to do that because that's, that's one of my passions sure kids stay healthy if there's any coach listening right now that's second guessing what's being said i mean i'm gonna live an example of we might have won a district tournament when i was 12 years old but when i was 30 years old i spent a year in a sling because they had to cut my bicep tendon and attach it back to the bone mm-hmm. back then yeah they, hey let's go but looking neck now why did i do that why did why did i say yes to that and don't you didn't put, know any better exactly don't put you, your kids you didn't know that. any better so it's the coach and the parents that are the ones that need to be educated and, and the knowledgeable of it. Right? right. It goes back to when we signed a kid at WSU my first year and, and the, and the, and the kid, the parent told us, well, he's not going to sign for 150. That's chump change. And then the kid ended up signing for 160, like a week later. Right. And, 
And we ran into that parent and you were excited for him, right? Good for you. We're happy for you. But it was, well, you know, it's, he's 18 now and it's ultimately in my, this again, probably wasn't the best response to have, but I'm like, so if he went and bought a case of beer and just started driving down the street, it'd be his decision. Cause he's 18. Like, but when, you know, we can't just pick and choose when we're going to parent, like we are the, the adults, we are the parents. And, and if you're a coach, then you're the coach and it's your job to understand how arm care and arm health works. And if you don't understand it, shoot me an email. I will gladly have a conversation with anyone that wants to discuss it and be open to the ideas that keep guys, you know, I, I'm not going to say injury free because everybody has injuries that happen. I mean, the, the major league has the best doctors and trainers and athletes in the world and they get hurt, but it's, it's, it's doing as much preventative maintenance as possible to prevent that type of stuff. And, and that falls on the adults and you're 12 years old and you just wanted to play and win. And you, you were like, we can do this together. <laughs> right. And even at that little league level, like I went into that little league district and state saying, we're not going to shortchange guys on that 35 pitch count so that they can come back in two days and throw another 35. And, you know, we're going to go with our one on game one. And he, until we feel comfortable, he's staying in the game. And if he, if we jump big and it's 35, then great. We'll take him out and we'll give him two, three days rest and we'll bring him back. But if it's 85, because that's what we need to win that game, then we're going to pitch him 85. And that ended up costing us because we couldn't get over the hump through the loser's bracket on Wednesday, uh, you know, and, and didn't have any enough pitching left to get through that. And so if we got through Wednesday to Thursday, we rolled back our one. And then for the weekend, we're back lined up to go. Here we go. Um, but it, but, but that, that kid's still a good arm and he's going to have a really good opportunity to pitch at a high level someday if he, if he continues to follow the protocol that he learned in that one 12 year old year. Um, but it is, you know, that is something that again, for me is just, you, you can't be a baseball coach and not understand arm care. Right. There's just too many guys who, who don't want to take the time to really truly learn about what it takes to warm up and, you know, it's, it's 10 minutes of throwing and then let's go full bore for two hours. And, you know, it's, it's, it's pitching 85 pitches, then doing cuts and relays at practice the next day. You, you just can't do that stuff. Like that's just, you gotta have, you've got to understand how these guys work and be the adult in the, in, in the situation. Yeah. And, and I think the hard part, you know, at least I've experienced too, is that, you know, guys have varying levels of soreness and more at the more at the college level. You know, I'm you know, I'm not feeling great today. You talked about your time at Wazoo with with Coach Marvin. If there's any type of, you know, soreness that you would maybe hold them back. But how have you found that differentiation between the guys that are sore and the guys that are hurt? And maybe what are some of those kind of key indicators that you look at to really determine if that guy really does have an injury? Well, so we'd have a scale of one to 10 and anytime they fell below seven, they were done. Like it was, you're, you're sitting out and I would ask him and our trainer would ask him when they go in for their, um, you know, pre-practice work in the training room, they had a, I, I can't remember the name of it. It was a shoulder series. I have it in my book. I just don't know the name of it off the top of my head, but they would go in and do this shoulder series warm up 
and a trainer would ask them then, how you feeling? And if it was six or less, they were just done. Um, and it might be for the day or whatever, but you, you can't, there's guys that will, will fight you through it. Right. But there's also, you have to know your pitchers. I had a, I had an arm at WSU that at 90 pitches, whether he was a freshman or senior, he was just, he was gassed. That was it. And I had, you know, I was at Washington with Lincecum was there and that kid could throw 180 pitches and, and, and play long toss to 400 feet the next day. It was just, everybody's built a little bit differently. Um, and so you just have to know your players you have to, and you have to develop a rapport with your athletes to know that they're going to tell you the truth and, and know, and, and they need to know that you have their best interest in mind here and that you're not going to, you know, Oh, I'm done. Then you're going to go to the, to the clubhouse and, and, you know, talk about the kid in a negative manner. Oh, he's never ready or whatever. Cause that, that'll get back and they can feel that from you when you're their coach. And so am I saying that razzing them and, and having some fun and, you know, is that's, a, that's part of the dugout. That's part of the clubhouse. At least it, it should be, if you, you know, on a, on a, but, but they're just, they're just going to figure out what they need to say in order to keep playing. If you, if you don't, develop a rapport with them and, and, and learn how to, and, and have them know that you've got their best interests. And there's guys that will fight you, you know, they'll get mad at you, but again, you're doing it. They don't, it's just like when you coach them hard, they don't know what you're doing for them until they're 25, 26. It's the same thing in the arm care part. They don't mess, maybe know about it and they'll disagree with you. And they might still to this day, 12, 15 years later, disagree with it. But it's just, we had that philosophy there that we weren't going to risk, you know, putting guys in harm's way. Now, when we got to the Arkansas regional and we had eight healthy pitchers, unfortunately the Parashuis and Connor Lamberts. And, you know, we started the same guy in two back-to-back games in Arkansas, like James Wise went out against Kansas state and gave up like three or four runs. And we were about to be loser out. See you later. Take him out. Richie Ochoa comes in and shuts Kansas state down for seven innings. And we win that game and we are out of pitching like, but Wise only threw like 45 pitches of his scheduled 90 that day. And we were like, who are we going to pitch? And I go, Wise, you want the ball again? He's like, yeah. So, you know, like there's, there's definitely times where we didn't necessarily go black and white, follow it to a T. But again, I trusted James is, 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 is conditioning and, and where he was at, you know, those relievers that were completely gassed. But again, that goes back to that and, that goes back to just sometimes how these NCAAs are set up to try to play five games in three days. And instead of, you know, maybe, Hey, let's just go to a three game series at 32 sites. And then those winners go play. And then those winners go play. And then we get to the Omaha eight, you know, why would we do that? Right. Like, why would we make that change and give 32 teams a chance to host a regional across the country and let teams like Washington and Washington state and Oregon, Oregon state and Gonzaga, actually host a regional when they end up in the top two or three in their league versus in our case, I think we ended up second one year at Washington and we got shipped to Long Beach where Jared Weaver and Tulowitzki and Vargas were all sitting there waiting for us or at Washington state when we took second in the league and we got shipped to Arkansas with Cox and, and those guys and uh, the little lefty that's still pitching the big league smiley and all those guys. Right. And so I don't know. Again, I, I, sometimes I don't, I think there's a disconnect with what could be best for the sport and what the decision makers truly have in mind. 
Well, let's get into story time here. Uh, I'm going to shoot for, uh, let, let's talk about recruiting. We've all been at some some random places, whether at uh, junior college level, Pac-12 level, West Coast Conference level. Talk, talk about a time where you maybe were somewhere where you didn't think you wanted to be and found a guy, kind of a surprise recruiting story that you had in your tenure of coaching. I don't know if it was ever a time where I was somewhere I didn't want to be because usually we set up our recruiting schedule to go to the <laughs> events that were well attended and entertaining, if anything, if not on the field, off the field with some of the other coaches that were in the stands. But, uh, you know, one, one, one of the one, – one player in particular, and, and, and unfortunately that doesn't have the great story where I was in Buell, Idaho – watching him play because it wasn't in Buell, Idaho. He came to our prospect camp in, at, in Pullman and he went out and played third base the first day and was not very good. You know, good looking kid, good looking body from Buell, Idaho, but wasn't very good. So, you know, just kind of taking some notes, evaluating them, doing our thing that we would do at a prospect camp, you know, okay. And he comes up to me at the end of the that day one and goes, Hey coach, you know, I pitched too. And I go, well, you didn't list it on your sign up." He goes, yeah, my mom filled it out. And I don't know why she didn't put it down. I'm like, okay, well, I'll see if I can get you in tomorrow. Right. But I, I was diligent and mapping it out, making sure we weren't burning guys up and all that. So like there wasn't a spot for him really. Cause we filled up the camp. Just so happens that one kid goes out there and throws the inning and, and he's sore. And here comes J.D. Luckenby from Buell, Idaho, who nobody's ever heard of. And he's low three quarters and it's 88 and it's sinking off the table. And I look down at Jewett, who's in the dugout, and he just like looks up at me. And, you know, all of a sudden we're like, okay, wait a minute now. This guy's different. And then I followed it up because Coach Marbit wasn't there. So he sends me to Buell, Idaho the following spring just to make sure that I saw what I thought I saw. And I still remember sending Coach Marvin a picture on our cell phones, which I don't even know if I had a flip phone or what kind of phone I had then, but of, of the 93 on the gun, like, yeah, he's, this is, this is a guy. So, you know, Leckenby from Buell, Idaho might be truly one of the guys who nobody knew about. And if he doesn't come up to me and say, I'm going to pitch at that prospect camp, we still don't know about him. Like, he, he just happened to have the courage to come up and say he was going to pitch. And he, he threw some quality innings for us, got drafted, I think, 14th round by the Mets. And, you know, now I think he's a firefighter down in Boise. So, uh, you know, guys like that. I remember Connor Lambert at the uh, Washington State All-State Series in Wenatchee. And he wasn't there the first game. We were there to watch Seth Harvey, who was one of our signees. And Lambert had a – I think a graduation party or something like that on Saturday. So he couldn't attend the Saturday game. So he shows up Sunday. I never heard of him. Don't even know. I just know he goes to the same school as Seth and uh, he gets out there and he's 88 to 90. And I'm like, Marbs, who, who, how come nobody's talked to Lambert yet? And, you know, oh, Lambert will tell you a little different story, I think, but I, I go up to him. I go, Hey, you know, where are you going to school? He goes, well, I'm going to go to lower Columbia. I go, well, what if I offered you a scholarship to Washington State? Would you would you consider? He goes, I might, or something like that. Like I was just like, wait a minute, you might. Like I mean, we're trying to to go Pac-12 here, buddy. Like so, he was a guy that really wasn't seen. And then, you know, all the way even further back was Matt Way, who 
kid from Sitka, Alaska that was playing for the old Don Moe program up in Seattle. And he kept telling Donnie, I got a kid, I got a kid. And so I think Donnie, like that was my first year. He says, so let's go watch this kid pitch, see what he is. And he was 84 left-handed, but he, it, he had a Bugs Bunny changeup. And I, that was my report. And he went to Pullman the next week and played in the blue summer series. And I remember calling Travis going, Hey, well, how'd way look? He goes, ah, nah. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess I missed. And then later on in the day, I get a text, hey, Way committed. And I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean, Way committed? I thought you said, nah. He goes, oh, no, I saw his changeup. It's, it's, yeah, he's, he's in. So, like, it was just something like that where just crazy stories. But, you know, the recruiting trail is such a fun deal. And when you can – there's so many kids that are, 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 are can't-miss kids. And when you can find somebody who's that fringy Division One player that ends up coming in and and, and – being a, a a real player for you for you for you know two three years in his career and and gets that degree and all that that's that's where it's kind of fun I mean even Adam Conley like if I were to tell you the truth I walked away from him the first time I saw him like he was 82 miles per hour at the Legion tournament in Yakima when I drove over that morning to watch him play and I just was like it ain't there like it's I like the way the arm works thing but it's 82 like I don't know what I can do and thank God Adam Conley wanted to be a Coug bad enough that he waited to come to our camp in the winter and touch some eights. And I was like, okay, no, I, I was wrong. Let's go. So, and he just signed in Japan, by the way, in case any Adam Conley fans are out there and want to know where he's playing next year, he's going to be playing in Japan. So I sent him a text saying congratulations in Japanese. And he wrote back, I have no idea what that says, but I appreciate it. So, <laughs> Coach, as we start to close things out here, I, I want to ask you, you know, what what is your most inspirational moment as a coach you've experienced and uh, either that was something over overcoming adversity or aha moment or something, but through your years of coaching, what has been your, one of those most inspirational moments for you? Uh, it's, it's just so many, like it's, it's hard to, it's hard to narrow it down to just a couple and, and, and I'll give you a few that, you know, it, it, it's, it's going to the state championships in Pullman and having, you know, casino night and, you know, kids are all there and, and, and taking second my first year, you know, that, that, I, that's still a vivid memory for me, you know, 30 years later. Um, you know, play. <laughs> Playing in the NWAC tournaments, there were some great moments there. Tony Alexander, you know, we were out of we were out of players, and we had a we had to pinch hit against Bellevue. And Tony Alexander could hit in high school, but he couldn't hit in college. But that one game, he hit a triple over Brandon Jacobson's head in center field to help us win that game against Bellevue. And Jay Garthwaite at Rice, like that's one of my favorite stories, is the Rice Regional, and it's it's two outs, Huskies are down, maybe five to three. They got Ards on the mound, and uh. It's 0-2 to John Otnis, no, 0-2 to Kyle Larson. And Larson gets a single, big freshman left-handed hitter, gets a single. And then it's 0-2 to John Otnis, the next hitter. And he, he he doinks him with a, a breaking ball. So now it's, you know, the Rice fans are all on their feet, standing, cheering, and then all of a sudden it's, it's stone quiet, right? And the next guy up, standing on the feet. And then Jay Garthway gets up, and it's 3-0 count to Jay Garthway. And he takes it, but... I remember coaching first going, he was 
right on time with his take. Like you could just see everything triggered on time. Everything was right. And he just crushed the three, one pitch, like into the Houston medical center at rice. And just like, it was awesome. And I like was a first year division one coach thinking this doesn't get any better than this. Right. And, and we, and then in those days we had to play the championship game, the second game of it, the next right then, like you didn't get the next day you had to play right then. And so I remember sitting in the locker room and Aaron Hathaway, our catcher is juiced up to an IV trying to rehydrate as well as about 20 other players. And we've got a pretty good arm going and, and they got a freshman who's got like eight innings and we're like, we're going to win this thing. Like this guy's got no innings. He can't pitch. And it's, it's just Jeff Neiman. Like, and he just like shuts us out for seven innings or whatever. So, you know, the Arkansas regional, <laughs> there was a moment where Chad Arnold came in relief for us and struck out their big hit. I don't know his name, Cox. And when they, we, we got up big and then they started chipping away at it and Chad came in relief and, did his job. But I remember going to the Arkansas bullpen one time when I had a couple freshmen warm it up. And as I'm walking down the line, this guy goes, Hey coach, you can't put him in. He ain't thrown a strike yet. And I'm like, Oh no, like don't let my kid hear that. He'll be panicking. And then as I'm leaving the bullpen, the same guy goes, Hey coach, you want some nachos? <laughs> I'm like, This is the best. Like, you know, like you just doesn't get any better than this. Oh man. And so, and you know, and, and, and then you go all the way to like Kingsway. And when we go to the state tournament in Yakabon, I take my assistant coaches to minors for the first time. And they have no idea what minors. <laughs> oh, is. man. I just go, oh, just, man. Just wait. And we go yeah. back there and the owner gal's there and she's, you know, being flirtatious with them and doing her <laughs> thing. And we had this one coach who's a CrossFit champion. And so she really took to him and, you know, bringing out like, <laughs> like this – like just plate, like we got more food on that trip, I think because of him than any <laughs> trip I've ever been there. And like, it's just stuff like that where again, it just, there's moments on the field, there's moments off the field, you know, right now watching my son play and, and being a part of his journey and uh, you know, having that father son moments that, you know, I, I it just, I, 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 I miss coaching. I miss being on a college campus. There's no question it's part of my blood, but I really am fortunate to work for AstroTurf now and do things with them and get to be a dad that gets to be around us. Like I, I wouldn't replace that. There's just not a minute that I would spend going back and, and doing it differently. Um, you know, when I left Portland at the time, I said if someone like from the SEC called, I'd probably go back into coaching. I don't think that's the case anymore. I, I really have enjoyed being a part of his journey and and helping not only him but his teammates, and 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 getting to take a little bit of a step back and maybe helping others that I might not have been able to be around as a as a as a Division One coach. So, well, Coach, I, I got to ask this last question. It just dawned on me. I wasn't going to do it. But what's better, the Miner Burger or the Swens Burger at the Valhalla? Oh, the Swens Burger, for sure, the <laughs> okay. I mean, come on. I mean, the Miner Burger's bigger. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. And you and you got to – you can't you can't eat the Swens Burger driving because you got to dip it in the au jus sauce. Mm. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, but I will I'll, I'll, I will say I go to Miner Burger and I get the same thing, their cheeseburger with au jus sauce, and, and it's, yeah. it's, it, it, it's pretty good, like – you get that with the Rocky Road Sunday afterwards. It's a good oh, trip to Yakima. Now you're talking. Let me tell you. There you go. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, oh. 
it's weird how my if, if my company looked at my GPS tracker on my car, they'd probably wonder why we go through Yakima so much. When <laughs> there's really not that many turf fields there. I'm like, why does he always go through Yakima? Like, Seattle to Spokane, and some reason he went down to Yakima and then you know looped up back to Spokane. So, but you know, guys got to eat, right? I mean, absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Coach, if someone wants to reach out to you, ask you some questions about something you said today, or what's the best way they can get a hold of you? Yeah, so the email is is best, uh, the Swens57, so T-H-E-S-W-E-N-S-5-7 at gmail.com is, is, is the easiest way. You know, I've got some information that I've accumulated over my career. Uh, some of it's my own. Most of it is taken from people that I work with or – went to the ABCAs and watched or went to the PEMCO clinics and watched or, you know, just sat in a, in a bar and talked shop with. Right. So there's just, but so some of it's not my own, but it's, it's stuff that's on my computer that, you know, I'm not shy about sharing. I'm not, you know, I've got a, a 250 page program manual that I created for the hope that one day I'd be a college head coach that's just sitting on my computer hard drive that I'm, I'm I don't know if I'd share that whole thing but you know the the bits and pieces that went into making that um, I'm happy to help guys especially when it comes to arm care and arm health and and helping them you know determine what's best for their program and how they're going to get their players healthy and ready to play a season and and, and keep them that way um, there just needs to be more of that education. And again, train more, throw more, pitch less. It's just got to become part of the mantra of, of, of the mentality. There's too many high school and youth kids that will throw one day and then not pick up a ball for two or three days. And I just compare it to lifting weights. If you were to lift weights and max out on Monday and then not put a weight or an exercise or anything on your, on your shoulders for two, three days, and then try to throw again or try to lift again, you're going to be sore. But if you just did a little bit on Tuesday and a little bit on Wednesday, then by the time you lift it on Thursday, you'd be, you, you'll be fine. And so we're just really trying to, I don't want it to be a false narrative and saying that I want guys to pitch all the time. That's not it. I just, I just think that kids can go play catch and just like you said, skip rocks, you know, long toss it with very minimal effort and just get the shoulder moving so that you're building up that endurance and that strength. So when you do need to tap into, you know, a little bit of reserve, you, you have, you've built yourself up to do it. Absolutely. And that's going to be so much more important coming this spring after this COVID shutdown, if we get a season, that's for sure. No doubt. It's, it's really kids, you know, the kids, the kids are definitely going to be more independent as players. They should, the college coaches should be happier with them because they should know how to train better on their own than maybe in the past that we've had because kids had their hand held so much through the training that they did that now they don't get to do that. And especially the pro level when you have to do everything on your own, hopefully these these few months that we've been going through this, these kids have learned how to get out in the garage and swing on their own and prepare on their own so that should they get that opportunity to play for coach Gow or any other college coaches in the region, they, 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 they are a little bit more of an independent ball player. You know, the, the ultimately your job as a coach. And, and I said this a lot was, was to eliminate your job and, and teach your players how to train at a level that they didn't need you anymore. And when they got to that level that's when you know you've done your job. And so um, hopefully maybe that's a maybe that's a little pandemic bonus that we'll see from some of our players that they know how to 
get after it without having their hand held as much as maybe in the past. Absolutely. Well, Swens, thank you so much. This has been really enjoyable, and I, I know that listeners are going to love this one. Yeah, I appreciate it. You know, I get long-winded, I know, and I was waiting for Kelly to play the Oscar music a few times on my answers, <laughs> so I appreciate that he kept the button off. But, uh, but I, you know, I love talking baseball. I love talking about the Northwest uh, in particular because it's just been where I've had the very good fortunes of being a part of it for so long that um, – you know, anytime I can help or, or, or do something to help promote this game in our region, I'm all for it. So I, I, I really sincerely appreciate you guys inviting me on to be part of this and uh, continued success with it. Appreciate that. And I look forward to having you on again someday. Yeah, I love it. Well, we can talk basketball or something. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, listeners, <laughs> Kelly, Jason, and I will be back in the bullpen to wrap this thing up. All right, we're here in the bullpen to wrap this thing up. Jason, why don't you lead it off? Yeah, guys, uh, today, uh, you know, Coach Swenson, it was solid. Um, you know, talking about arm care is so pivotal to, I think, just overall success on the field. Um, you know, and I, it really comes down to, guys, I think it's a matter of, do we as coaches, do we care about the W or we care about the player? You know, and I, and I think that it's important if we're really concerned about our athletes, you know, seeing themselves further themselves along with their career, we need to be caring about their arm care, you know, and I, I think Swenson was right on when he's talking about kind of working it backwards, you know, and not just jumping out there and throwing 80 pitches in a game, you know, and sometimes it means that you're not going to be able to throw that guy for that second time around and, you know, the double elimination bracket that you're in and it's just you're going to have to sometimes grind through it but uh you know those are things that we have to remind ourselves and there's things that us new coaches out there that need to be taught those things and don't know the proper care um you know i wish it was kind of one of those procedures as coaches that you know we'd have to take a class on proper air, you know arm care before we were able to be certified coaches in the state of washington and i, I just think that you would see a better health of players um you know we know one of the most severe injuries is the throwing arm you know and Eric just like you were sharing your story there at 12 years old it goes all the way down to the end of grade school you know I mean if if we're not uh as coaches in, in you know instructing and and teaching other coaches you know the proper care I mean what are, good are we doing for the player and what are we good at redoing for the game you know so I think it's a it's a good reminder if you know what he's doing with Northwest Baseball insider thing on, you know, that, that's solid. Um, you know, coaches, if you're listening, get on that, uh, you know, he's got a Twitter handle, hit a follow on it. Um, guys put some games. I know we're going to use it for our summer, uh, Badgers team. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a good way for coaches to connect. And I think, uh, you know, we're always looking for better ways to connect. And if we have the, you know, uh, media out there, use it you know so it's uh it was it was a, a good solid uh, uh talk tonight and uh it was a lot to uh, take in and for sure uh that uh, i felt you know reminded and, and to uh you know learned a lot too so it was good and not to mention the twitter uh, i just looked him up on there he's a 2020 washington state coaches hall of fame inductee so congratulations coach yeah. on that and, and yeah. uh, no i think i, I 
I, I think I said on there, I said afterwards about I was getting chills and kind of just missing. And I told our assistant coach that the other day, I just miss being a part of a team right now. And, mm-hmm. and uh, the that's, you know, ultimately what you're doing as a coach and the wins and losses, you're going to remember those and you're, you're not going to remember those. Some you might remember, but it's the long road trips to Chico, California, Kelly, on a bus that we had to do, you know, back playing or or uh, the, the Pepsi pack vans going over, blew it past, breaking down, letting the van have a smoke on top because it was overheating, you know. <laughs> and, it's, and just giving your kids the ultimate baseball experience. Don't get them burnt out on things. And, and uh, no, I, I thought that was really fun, you know, trying to – the things that we do at Kittitas, trying to get the extra jerseys or the extra little things or going on and trying to get an overnight trip somewhere, it's because I want the kids to have the experiences that I had when I was lucky enough to have when I played. And I think the arm care stuff was awesome, and the Pacific Northwest is known for the weather, and and we got to take care of them. Yeah, a, a lot of good stuff in there. I I, I kind of liked a lot. Of, we talked about his his change in views of coaching, you know, throughout his time, and the, how it took some time for him to realize people being critical of him and what he was doing was out of the betterment of himself, and I think. And we're all guilty of, of having our egos and thinking we have things figured out. And, and I think, you know, you, you find yourself, whether you say it out loud or say it to someone, someone else, or just take a step back and reflect on your own. Like maybe I don't have this a hundred percent figured out the way I think I do. Uh, and looking through a different lens and, and being able to try new things and not get stuck in the ruts that I think wear us so much down. And I think it was the hardest part of this year um, is, is we didn't have some of that trial air that we work on on a day-to-day basis in practice. You try out this new drill. I, I know for me personally, it's it's the first day of spring practice, um, you know, in January, being outside. You spend a month and a half without your players putting together this perfect practice plan, and you go out, and it absolutely sucks. It's the worst practice you've had in a long time, and your expectations far outweigh what's actually going to happen and being able to take a step back and, and realizing that, okay, I should have thought in this lens, my expectations should be a little bit less. These guys haven't been together for a while. So how can we build this thing up um, to be successful? But everything's a learning opportunity and trying to, and it's the best part about what we're doing here is it, it just brings back that reflection of, of what I'm doing and, and how I can make changes and, and some other adaptations I can have um, to, to, to be the best player that I possibly can. Um, and, and then the recruiting stuff, I, I think I mean, there's so many different opinions and views and, and stuff out there. And if there's any parents and, and, or anyone asked out there that, you know, is struggling navigating through this, I mean, it is a business from, from summer baseball to recruiting services, to showcase camps, everything is out there to try to make money. And it's not that they're bad. Nothing is bad. Nothing is, is definitely has this ill intention, but do your research and ask the right questions to people to figure out what's the best way for your kid to develop and for him to be seen and, and have a path to play collegiate baseball. And a lot of that's, it's, it's the development and, 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 and Swen's hit it on it, you know, hit it on its head that, you know, developing and learning to be your own best guy and, 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 and trying to, to, you know, be good in the weight room and, and do some of those other things, just throwing, I mean, playing catch does not cost you anything, um, you know, whether it's throwing a bucket of balls down to the other side of a football field and picking them up and throwing them back, like you didn't spend any money in that situation. So um, becoming your better self, becoming a better player is so much more important than being seen by more people. 
um, because you know if you add a D to the end of exposure uh, or, or, or just mix up that word a little bit, it turns into exposed. And if you expose yourself as being not a good player, no one's going to like you. So be a better version of yourself and, and find the best cost-efficient way to, to navigate this recruiting cycle. Absolutely. If you guys are looking for the Twitter account we talked about earlier, where if you're looking to, looking for a game, looking to find games, Northwest Baseball Insider, the, the tagline is at NW Board. So get on there or send them an email at northwestbaseballboard at gmail.com, nwbaseballboard at gmail.com. Well, guys, thank you again for being a part of the Pacific Northwest Fungo Banner. Please get on and check out our sponsors, Devo Bats. The 12 Days of Christmas are going on now still, I believe, and uh, uh, Safeguard out of the Tri-Cities. Some great stuff there. Guys, thank you again. Look forward to next week. If we don't hear you till next week, have a great Christmas. Take care of one another, and let's get back to baseball. Pacific Northwest Fungo Banner is part of the Big Country Media Podcast Network. Check out all episodes anywhere you can get your podcast. And for you iTunes listeners, please get on and give us a rate and review. Keep up to date with us on Facebook at Pacific Northwest Fungo Banner and on Twitter at Fungo Banter PNW. Fungo Banner Podcast is powered by Devo Bats, the official bat and fungo of your Pacific Northwest Fungo Banner Podcast. Go check them out on all social media platforms and at devobats.com. Fungo Banner is also powered by Safeguard out of the Tri-City. We are proud to have them on board with us making the Fungo Banner gear. Guys, local company out of the Tri-Cities, please go online, check them out, trysafeguard.com for all your printing and advertising needs.